Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the B-Team podcast. Just myself here today. Ben's a little bit busy. Brought to you by Jackrabbit Illustrated, part of the Splitting Hairs group of podcasts. Really special guest here with us today. We've got Sam Herter from Hero Sports. Um, Sam, you're uh, kind of the local flavor for Hero Sports around here with covering the Missouri Valley. I know you're the senior uh, FCS analyst or writer for Hero Sports with Brian, and I know a lot of people around here really love your work with your um, Midwest uh, focus more so than than Brian kind of is out of our scope with it, what he specializes in and everything. Uh, really appreciate you having you on the show here today. Absolutely, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I have more of a, we kind of split things. Brian lives in Florida, so he's focused on the Southland and the SoCon and SWAC and those conferences, and I, uh, a big focus for me is the Missouri Valley Football Conference, obviously, and then the Big Sky uh, as well, so that's kind of how we divide things up with Hero Sports' FCS coverage. Awesome. Yeah, I know after uh, we had Brian on here a little while ago, uh, I had a lot of people clamoring on me going, hey, when are you going to get Sam on? When are you going to get Sam on? When are you going to get Sam on? So then COVID happened, everything blew up on us, and now we're left with a crazy season coming up here. Um, Everybody knew where everything kind of was going to sit. Well, at least we had a good feeling of where things were going to go leading into the fall, and then COVID hit, and the Missouri Valley is just a mess. I mean, how do you see that playing out with all the transfers that have left and everything like that. Obviously, we're kind of an SDSU-centric show. I feel like SDSU from the top teams really skated by by losing the least compared to Northern Iowa and NDSU and teams like that. Yeah, I mean, you look at what's – because 2020 fall, 2021 spring, I kind of – I basically – summarize them as the same season so if you would uh, if you would take a look at what the rosters look like now compared to what they would have looked like if things were normal in the fall of 2020 I mean just drastically different and you take the top four teams alone who I still think are the top four teams uh you know the, the South Dakota State North Dakota State Illinois State Northern Iowa all of them have pretty significant losses and you know just like you said I think South Dakota State uh, got the the best of it, I guess you could you could summer you could say it like that. <laughs> I, the, the lone loss. I know they had some uh, defensive backs uh, uh, leave the team, but the big one was obviously Kay Johnson. Now, uh, you know, entering and obviously it looks like he's made the right decision with what he's doing, what he did at the Senior Bowl, looking like a mid round draft pick uh, now. So Kay Johnson's one guy with South Dakota State, but you look at NDSU. I mean, I, I believe Jabril Cox transferred before all the postponements and, and all that anyways. But, I mean, Trey Lance obviously isn't there. Uh, Dylan Radins obviously isn't there. Those are two first-round NFL draft picks. You look at Illinois State. Um, I mean, they're James Robinson. Uh, he, he was already gone anyways, but that, that's a big loss. Uh, they also had their starting quarterback, Brady Davis, decided to start training for the NFL draft. Um, and so they lose their starting quarterback and then, Northern Iowa, I mean, they have, I want to say they've had five all-conference, all-American level guys either transferred last year in the in the fall of 2020. I know, like, Briley, Briley Moore, the tight end, played at uh, Kansas State. Uh, they have uh, two guys that have declared early for the NFL draft. Then they have two more guys, uh, both defensive players. I think one is going to Nebraska, and then one is going to uh, Iowa. And so, that, I mean, that's five guys that would have been – either all conference or all all American. And so those, I, those, in my opinion, those are still the top four teams uh, in the Valley, but they're just, they, they lose so much talent uh, just based off of the, the hectic world we've been living in. 
Right. Um, with that, with all the losses and key losses, do you see any sort of shuffling in your mind from what was and what is coming up in the spring here? Uh, as far as the Valley standings, no. Um, you know, I still have it. NDSU one, South Dakota State two, Northern Iowa three, Illinois State four. Uh, that hasn't changed as far as my national rankings. You know, back in the fall, I had NDSU, South Dakota State, Northern Iowa one, two, three. My fall preseason poll. Um, now it's NDSU one. I believe I have South Dakota State three. Northern Iowa is down to like five, six, or seven, somewhere around there. So they do drop uh, in my rankings a little bit. Weber State uh, has moved up. Weber State is basically the one top team that hasn't had any hits to the transfer portal besides their starting quarterback, Jake Constantine. Uh, but I don't think that's really a big loss for Weber State. So as far as the Valley uh, standings, doesn't really impact my order. But nationally, it, it impacts it a little bit. Right. And, I mean, nationally speaking, I feel it for you guys because we had – all the COVID, you guys keeping up with all the transfers that have happened from COVID and then the <laughs> year not counting. And then we've got the new transfer rules starting to come into effect. Um, and kind of just on that line of thinking with the transfers and everything, there were so many this year. Um, do you see that toning down because of guys running out of places to be able to transfer to eventually? Or does this rate keep going this fast? I think it'll slow down. Uh, you know, there were right around 100 FCS to FBS transfers for the 2020 uh, fall season. Uh, a lot of that had, like, that number doubled within a month after it was pretty clear that the, the fall season was going to be postponed. Uh, you know, this year, going into the 2021 uh, fall season, there are, I think, close to 50 FCS to FBS transfers. Um, I Again, I think COVID plays a big factor in that. I mean, you look at uh, Xavier Williams from Northern Iowa, for example, he, he's uh, safety uh, went from Northern Iowa to Iowa. I'm guessing this whole COVID thing, you know, he didn't want to play his senior season in the spring and then have to turn it around and play his senior season in the fall. My guess is his mindset was, you know, it's, I want to, I, I, I want to be an NFL draft pick next year. You know, my best bet instead of playing, you know, freaking 15 games in a calendar year, Let's try the FBS, see if I can get a power five offer, just, you know, not play until the fall. So, um, so I think there's still going to be a high amount of 2021 FCS to FBS transfers. Uh, I don't know if it'll hit a hundred, but it might be 60, 70. I do think it'll tone down, you know, after that 2022, 2023, I don't think we're going to have a hundred standout guys every year transferring to the FBS. You will see some here or there. Uh, just because of the, the transfer rule, um, you can even obviously grad transfer to and, and be able to play right away. But I don't think, I mean, I, I looked at all hundred transfers uh, for and what they did in the 2020 fall season and only like 25% of them really did anything notable. I mean, there are some guys uh, like a couple of quarterbacks, uh, you know, one was named Newcomer of the Year. A few other guys started. I mean, Jabril Cox had a great year. Um, you know, I don't. I know Bradley Moore was named All Big Twelve Honorable Mention. So there's you know, 25 guys that did something, but there were there were a number another 40 guys that either redshirted. Um, you know, didn't play. I know there were 20 guys that did play, but they only saw time on special teams, and so it was a really mixed bag. Where, I mean, there are some All American level guys at the FCS that 
went to the FBS and it's not like they redshirted. They just, they just sat the bench and played special teams. So I was like, was that move, you know, really worth it uh, for you? So I think people will probably, FCS players will probably see that. I also think there's a realization that the transfer portal is so full that you could really, you know, to put it, (laughs) you could really screw yourselves because basically the rules are once you enter the transfer portal, you don't have to transfer. You can stay at your school, but once you're in the officially in the portal, the, that your the team you're with is no longer obligated to honor your scholarship. So you could enter the portal, search it for two weeks and say, actually, you know what? I want to stay at you know, South Dakota state, for example, South Dakota state can say, okay, we'll take you back, but we already plan on giving your scholarship to an incoming freshman. Right. And so if you're an FCS guy, you transfer, you can't find a new home. You want to come back. There's a chance that your scholarship gets pulled. So um, I think it makes sense for some guys to try things at the FBS level, but for the most part, I think a lot more, I think people enter the transfer portal a little too easily and, you know, without thinking of some of the consequences to it. Right. And I mean, you saw, I think, you know, Kate Johnson, when he went to transfer initially, once our SDSU season was kind of, you could see it wasn't going to happen in the fall. Then he, and it made a ton of sense for Cade because, you know, he's looking to go to the NFL. Obviously he had a hell of a senior bowl and all that jazz, but, um, you know, he didn't really find a landing spot because there was such a flood of guys transferring right then. So then he just went and jumped pro. So that happened to a lot of guys. Could you see it happening, though, as we go forwards where your FBS schools start taking a little bit smaller classes so they can have room for transfers up from the FCS and trickle-down effect? That could end up having better players in the FCS overall but then they end up trans having a couple more, a little higher frequency of transferring. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think FBS, uh, especially power five, their strategy will probably always be to have a couple open scholarships, not even necessarily to chase, uh, uh, you know, FCS guys, but maybe, you know, they have a few scholarship spots open just because it it does seem like there is going to be, the one-year transfer rule where you can transfer somewhere somewhere and basically play right away. You don't have to sit out. And so, I mean, Alabama can, can keep a scholarship open just because, you know, a Georgia linebacker wants to transfer and, you know, they, so then Alabama can, can use a scholarship on them, for example. So I don't necessarily think that would be f- just for FCS guys, but I do know that, that, you know, FBS programs certainly do realize and are, our knowing of, of the top players at the FCS level, um, you know, the transfer portal is supposed to make everything, you know, pretty transparent and, and not have, you know, things going on behind the scenes like there were before. But, you know, for a lot of these guys, or not a lot, but for some of these guys that, you know, and a lot of these FCS guys that enter the transfer portal and they find a home, you know, a week later, you can kind of guess that someone was in their ear saying, Hey, like there are, these three power five programs are really interested in you. Like you should maybe consider, you know, transferring for your senior season. Um, I do think some of that plays into it. And I know Bobby Houck, the, the Montana head coach, you know, he's had FBS experience and he said that something along the lines of, if you don't think FBS programs have a board of the top FCS players out there, you know, you'd be dead wrong. And so, I mean, the, all the, all the big boys, they know, they know about these FCS all Americans and how they go about trying to get them to transfer. You know, I, I don't, I don't know specifically how that works. And if, 
they use someone else to get into that person's ear to get them to transfer, but there are some things going on uh, behind the scenes. But like I said, I don't think it's going to be ridiculous amounts of FCS to FBS transfers. It'll probably be a decent chunk, but I don't think you have to worry about this last year where there's, you know, seven of our 13 first team, all, all American offensive players are no longer with their, this, with those teams. I don't think you have to worry about that year after year after year. Right. Well, they probably just go and use uh, McDonald's nowadays. To get a whole <laughs> yeah. <of> guys, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, and this is a curveball, but kind of going off of that from something that just broke today with the NCAA video game coming out, uh, supposedly they're not going to have to pay the players, but if the, through the whole likeness, pay for your likeness thing that's coming on and everything. Uh, and if they don't have the, if you don't have FCS teams on there, so you only have FBS teams on there that start getting paid out by EA for using their likeness. Um, do you think that has a huge dynamic? I'm not trying to be negative. Like this is just all things of the day that kind of been going on and mm-hmm. want to get your input on. But I mean, could you see that where that has a larger negative effect or? I th- Yeah, I think so. You know, with the FCS, because I don't know exactly how it would work, you know, if there if there isn't name, image, and likeness, like the NCAA or whoever makes the NCAA uh, EA Sports, like they could have, um, you know, like all the they could have all the F, the FBS teams would not have you know specific names you know on the rosters they'll just have you know, right. whatever whatever. But if they do have N- NIL, um, you know, they could make all the rosters and then you know I don't know how, if they, they they would just split that up every player that's on the roster gets a little piece of that I don't know exactly how that would work but yeah if if, if that does happen where you know power 5 all have all have teams and they have rosters and everyone on that roster like their name and photo are in a video game and so they're right. going to take in you know some of that lump sum and that doesn't happen with the FCS I, I do think that would negatively impact the FCS you know just because guys will you know maybe that'll instead of you know, instead of taking a full full scholarship of South Dakota State, maybe they choose to walk on at Minnesota, you know, and one of the reasons is because, hey, you know, I can get a, a chunk of that EA, you know, money. I, right. I guess I don't know how often that would happen, but I can see, you know, that playing a part, uh, especially because, I mean, there already is that FBS, FCS label where players, they just want to go FBS. You know, they don't want to be an FCS player. They want to be FBS and this, mm-hmm. you know, EA Sports thing could, you know, probably play a role into that. Yeah, I mean, it'll just be a little another pebble in the in the mountain yeah. that you're fighting, especially yeah. around here. All the MVs FC teams are recruiting against a lot of a lot of FBS teams nowadays. They're not really recruiting against your NECs or anything like that. So, right, exactly. Um, but speaking of the MVFC, all the conferences. There are went and read your article that came out yesterday or was it today about all the teams moving conferences. There's something I don't know if I remember the number right here, like 12 different teams that are moving or going to be moving conferences. If that's correct, if you include NCAA and T moving to the Big South, then everybody else that's moving and UND moving into the MVFC this year. Um, how do you think that affects the MVFC? Is there a chance that? You get the OVC. Well, first off, in case people don't know, maybe just go over the basics over who's all moving and where they're going. Yeah, so there, I think there's right around 20 teams actually that have. Holy. Th- th- yeah, this is since <laughs> this is since the 2019 uh, season ended. There's been 20 teams that have changed affiliation, and it, and it ranges from you know going all the way back to North Carolina A&T, going from the MEAC to the Big South. I think that was 
announced, uh, you know, right after the 2019 season ended, even like a smaller school like Presbyterian leaving the Big South for, for the Pioneer, um, you know, St. Thomas leaving D3 to join the Pioneer, like I included all of that, you know, UND uh, joining the Valley, I included that on this list. So then you have, you know, the the seven teams that are joining the new WAC conference. You have the five teams that are joining the new ASUN uh, conference. Those are all included. So, and then, you know, there, uh, another one too, uh, Jacksonville University, you know, I included them because they left the Pioneer. Uh, and the reason they left is because they canceled, they discontinued their football program. So basically right. any team that's had some type of change in affiliation or, or, or switching conferences or whatever, um, I included, and there has been about 20 and, I expect there to be plenty more. Uh, I mean, the Southland had five teams leave, so they're going to be searching. You know, they could take some teams from the SWAC. Uh, the OVC lost two big teams in Jacksonville State and Eastern Kentucky. I can see the OVC potentially targeting Youngstown State or Western Illinois. Uh, the A Sun certainly wants to add a sixth team, so they could, you know, maybe target an Elon on the CAA or take another OVC team or, or the SOCON. So, there's going to be plenty more movements coming, I believe, and how that would impact the Valley is, you know, kind of like I said, I think Western Illinois or Youngstown states uh, would make sense for the OVC to try to, to take out of the Valley and, and move it to the other Valley, the Ohio Valley. Right. And, you know, when you're in the Missouri Valley as a fan, I think a lot of people tend to look at that as, well, we're, you know, you're the big dog, you're the SEC or whatever you want to say of the FCS. You don't really think of your schools getting poached, but geographically speaking and Western having some financial issues, Youngstown being that far out, they would make a lot of sense for the OVC to try and swipe and for them to listen as well on top of it. Right. Yeah. And like, you could even like, because you have to look at it as a whole. Like, if you just looked at it from a football perspective, uh, you could say Indiana State or Southern Illinois would also make sense geographically uh, to go to the OBC. But they play basketball. You know, I would. I know Indiana State for sure is mm -hmm. much more into, into basketball than, than football. Right. I think that's probably the same for Southern Illinois. I don't know much about the OVC for basketball, but I know the Missouri Valley is a pretty strong uh, basketball league. And so while football would make sense – uh, for Southern Illinois and Indiana State as a whole, I don't, I don't think it makes sense for their athletic department to go to the OVC. And so that's why I think Western Illinois, uh, that makes sense. Uh, I know they play in the Summit League. Uh, and so I think, I don't, I, I don't think they would be too upset about leaving the Summit League. Uh, Youngstown State makes sense for football, but just because they're kind of way out there. Um, honestly, I don't even know what conference the Youngstown State is in for, for all their other sports, but I'm guessing they would be fine with joining the OVC. So yeah, I would keep an eye on on the Valley losing a team. Uh, and I think the Valley would be fine with that because I, I believe there's 11 now with UND coming in and right. having odd number teams sometimes isn't ideal for scheduling. So I'm, I'm sure the Valley would want mine going back to 10 teams and Youngstown State hasn't done a whole lot. Uh, you know, recently Western Illinois is I don't think anyone likes traveling to Macomb, and so I don't, I don't think anyone would be sad if, if one of those two teams decided to uh, to leave the Valley. Yeah, I know a lot of SCSU fans would not be sad to see that Macomb road trip go away because <laughs> there was there was a crazy one three years ago or whenever it was, SCSU ended up fumbling away a seed and having to go play in Montana where that mm. Macomb trip, there was, a, there was a snowstorm. The team didn't get there until – 
like minutes before kickoff and it was a whole disaster. I know a lot of SSU fans remember that. So I'm sure we wouldn't be sad to see them go from a fan base perspective. And I know there's a lot of people who would be excited to see a full round Robin if both teams went, but um, yeah, you know, when you look at um, all of that there with the, with the movement and the ASUN, they're talking about these, having some teams from the Atlantic Sun that's going to form playing in the whack to give them the bid. Is that something that is going to happen or is just rumored to happen so far? Supposedly it's supposed to be Jacksonville State and um, UCA or somebody is going to go play in the whack to give the whack enough teams to qualify for the automatic bid. Is that something that's happening? Have you heard anything about that or is that just something that's been on the internet for a little bit? So it, it seems like that is most likely going to happen. We, we don't know for sure yet. They're going to uh, come out on February 23rd uh, with details regarding uh, AQ affiliations. Uh, and, and so basically, I mean, the, they, they left a lot of questions unanswered last week when the ASUN came out with their press conference and their release and, and said, we're forming this new, this new conference that, that's going to include Kennesaw State, North Alabama, uh, who's already in the A-Sun, but they play their football in the Big South. And then uh, also joining the A-Sun would be Jacksonville State, Eastern Kentucky, and Central Arkansas. And we believe that the A-Sun and the WAC are going to form you know, some type of partnership just for the fall of 2021, because as it sits right now, the WAC, has, the WAC is going to have seven teams, uh, but for the fall of 2021, Southern Utah, isn't joining until 2022. And then two of their teams, Tarleton state and Dixie states uh, are, are they're They're still transitioning to division one. So I think technically for the fall of 2021, the WAC only has four or five teams that count toward uh, playoff eligibility. And you need six to be, to, right. to be, to have an auto bid. Meanwhile, the ASUN only has five teams. They haven't found a sixth team yet. And so basically to, to make it, make the most sense, I guess, is the goal with this one-year partnership, because people might be like, why are they doing this, is to make sure all these teams switching conferences are playing in a league that sends its champion, you know, to, to the playoffs, because, you know, the A-Sun wants an auto bid, the WAC wants an auto bid, and, you know, if, if they kind of play separate, both conferences won't have an auto bid, um, and, and that would be tough for those teams. They could still make the playoffs, obviously, but it would it would be as an at-large and not an auto bid. So that's kind of where that this partnership w- would come into play is, you know, just making sure all those teams have, have a league uh, to call their home, I guess. I um, mean, the language is a little confusing because uh, those five teams from the A-Sun will be recognized as A-Sun members in 2021. They just might be playing a whack schedule. <laughs> oh. So, so they won't be, they won't be whack members in 2021 but they might be playing like a whack schedule so I, it's the language is gonna be very confusing uh, i don't know if i described it all that well but it does make sense for all members involved to just have some type of partnership where whoever wins that you know mishmash of of a conference for fall 2001 for 2021 does send the champion to the playoffs so it's going to be like the reverse of the big sky where we'll have Conference games between conference opponents not be conference games in the big sky, but in the <laughs> A-Sun and the WAC, you're going to have teams from another conference playing another conference, but they're going to be conference games. Yeah, it's it's going to be weird. And the, the thing is, too, so 
the Southland had four teams go leave the Southland to join the WAC. That's Lamar, Abilene Christian, Sam Houston, and Stephen F. Austin, all located in Texas. The original plan was for those four uh, to join in 2022, but the Southland basically right. said, if you guys are going to leave, just leave. So, I mean, they're like, okay, I guess we're leaving then. But the, problem, but the problem is if they just play – and so the seven teams in the WAC are those four teams I just mentioned from Texas, Southern Utah, Tarleton State, Dixie State. Southern Utah is still in the big sky in 2021. Tarleton State, Dixie State, they're, not, they're still transitioning up to Division One. So those four Texas schools are kind of in a tough spot where they're like, okay, I guess we're leaving earlier than expected. You know, we don't have an auto bid in our conference. You know, Sam Houston can still make the playoffs as an at-large, but you still want that guarantee. Uh, and, and so the, the, the four Texas schools are kind of in a tough spot. And that's where the ASUN can come in and say, hey, we can have um, – in, in, in this scenario, North Alabama, Kennesaw State would stay in the Big South for one more year. And then Jacksonville exactly. State, Eastern Kentucky, Central Arkansas would be ASUN members playing a whack <laughs> conference schedule. <laughs> and then so those four, those four Texas schools and then JSU, Eastern Kentucky, Central Arkansas – will be a conference with two different conference conferences playing in the conference. I don't know how they're going to I don't know how they're going to word it in the press release in the press co- or the press conference. Like it makes right. sense but how you word it is like how do you word it to make it make sense? <laughs> a, a, associate football membership maybe for a year? Or yeah, loaning? A, a, they're associate, on loan. Yeah, associate members, but I don't know if they want to use associate members because the ASUN wants it clear that these five teams will be recognized as ASUN teams in the right. fall of 2021. And so they don't want to call them WAC associate members. And so it's, <laughs> I don't know, can, maybe just call them the, the, the sun whack or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> and, and looking at the WAC, now this is all going to take place in the fall, correct? Not the yep. spring. Yep. The so, fall. um, Looking at the WAC going forwards, you've got Southern Utah coming back in. Now, we know from experience around here with the Dakota State teams, you know, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, that when they were in the Great West, you want to have more than six or seven teams. Like, that qualifies you, but you want to have more than that. Um, Are there more big sky teams that you see possibly ending up in the WAC, like a Northern Arizona or – because the the big sky is so bloated and the WAC's going to be starved for members. Do you see more teams going that route of jumping into the WAC? Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. That's a good question. Because obviously the big sky would make sense, but I feel like if there were big sky teams interested, they would have made the jump, you know, already to say, yeah, we are going to join the the WAC. Uh, Northern Arizona makes sense, but I know they are like one of the original members of the Big Sky, so I don't know if they're all that interested. Uh, right. Weber State is in Utah along with a couple of those other teams, but I don't think Weber State would want to uh, would want to to leave the Big Sky. Um, you know, I know the WAC said that they are interested in one day going back to the FBS, and so that could maybe shake some things up. Where you know after two years, you know, they say, all right, here's our plan. Like we want to go, we want to become an FBS conference by, you know, 2027, 20, mm-hmm. you know, that could result in, you know, like Tarleton state saying, Hey, we're not ready for that. And so maybe Tarleton state joins the Southland and then maybe Idaho and Montana, Montana state are like, you know, we, we kind of want to go FBS. So we'll join the WAC because you guys, this could be our best route to, 
to be an FBS program. So something like that could happen. I don't know how realistic that is, but I know the WAC obviously wants to add some more teams. I just, I'm just not sure exactly where those teams are, are going to come from, come from if, if one more team from the big sky joins or not. Right. So boy, that'll be interesting. Cause the stated goal like of the WAC is to down the line, move the whole conference as a whole back up to FD, FBS. Isn't that, that's, is that true? Or that's is that... what they said. That's what they okay. say. I don't know how realistic that is. I think they use the wording that all seven members are, committed to how do they phrase it they didn't say committed to going to the fbs but they are committed to exploring the fbs gotcha which basically okay. means that in three years southern utah can hire an outside firm to go through all their revenue streams and is, is it realistic to go fbs or FB, fbs or not and then that you know outside committee or firm can say yeah southern utah you guys just aren't going to make it in the fbs right. and so so then utah can say well we were committed to to looking into it but you know it's not going to happen so i i know right. the whack obviously was once an fbs conference i know they're like from their commissioner standpoint their long-term goal is to go to the fbs if they are an fbs conference in 2030 it's not going to be with these teams you know i think the four texas teams will probably remain but i doubt Dixie State would be a part of that. I doubt Southern Utah would be a part of that. And so that's where, you know, five years from now, if FBS is very realistic and, you know, for for the WAC and they're really pushing for it, that's when you can see some teams leave, some teams join that that do want to go FBS. So I can see it becoming an FBS conference at some point, but it's just it's not going to be with these seven members. I that's I can I can't guarantee it, but I can I pretty much guarantee that. Yeah, because I remember I was looking at I had I had people asking me, you know, when groups of our podcast or guys on our podcast going, well, what's this whack going to be? I've heard somebody say FBS, and I was looking at the current the membership they're inviting, going, no way, there's no way they can just jump into FBS. Half of them are still transitioning from D two, so yeah, that makes that makes a lot more sense. Um, you know, I personally I'm really excited about the whack and the Southland being split up because the Southland's scheduling was so insular with the small amount of out of conference games they would do, mm -hmm. they would only do like two, if I remember right. So yeah. splitting that up and creating the whack to play, be a Western road trip for teams to be able to play out of conference is kind of exciting for, uh, you know, Missouri Valley, big sky area school. Yeah. Yeah. It, it gives the FCS a little bit more, a little Western, more central uh, conference in there. And yeah, that's a great point with the Southland because usually it, in a normal year when you play 11 games, it would be nine conference games for the Southland and then two non-conference. And so there would be years where, you know, not recently because, you know, Nichols has gotten a lot better. Southeastern Louisiana has gotten a lot better, but like mid two thousands, like 2015, you would have a Sam Houston team that they would go one and one in the non-conference. They would lose to an FBS and then just, you know, kick the crap out of, you know, some D2 Texas team or some, you know, SWAC team that wasn't very good. And then they would just absolutely dominate uh, the Southland and, and they would finish, you know, 10 and one, but the Southland wasn't all that strong. So you're kind of just going, you know, I wish Sam Houston would have played like a Jacksonville state or like a James Madison. So we know how good they are. Yes, they're 10 and one, but they haven't beaten anyone. And so this will obviously help the Southland a lot uh, with that. Uh, obviously the strength of the conference takes a huge hits uh, with these four teams leaving, but uh, it is interesting 
you know, from an FCS perspective, because now we're going to go from 14 at large, 10 auto bids to now 12 auto bids. Once the ASUN and the WAC have separate auto bids, it'll be, it'll be 12 and 12. So it'll, it'll break things up a little bit too in the, in the FCS playoffs. Yeah. And you know, it's got to make you, know, you and Brian voting on the top 25 poll for stats and everything. It's got to make your life a lot easier now that there's going to be more diversity out west and then i mean top to bottom conferences because then you'll be able to see how good these conferences are top to bottom a lot to a higher degree when they're forced to play more out, out of conference games with smaller conferences that have to have more out of conference games in general right yeah more more non more good or solid non-conference games the better because it just it allows you to really get a better vibe on on uh on, on teams and, and how strong they are and and yeah just having you know just even having like dixie state come in or a tarleton state's a little bit more central in the united states you know that'll that'll help with with scheduling uh with the big sky because like you mentioned earlier sometimes the big sky two big sky teams will schedule a non-conference game against each other just to save on travel costs uh because you know you're not going to see montana state fly all the way across and play Albany for non-conference just because you know, the money and budgets that that makes it pretty tough. So, so that'll be helpful uh, for us, you know, definitely. And I think, I think overall this, this realignment in my opinion is beneficial for the FCS. I'll tell you what, with, especially you brought up the auto bids part for the fall. I'm glad this is happening in the fall. Cause I can't imagine it's going to be bad enough when the spring happens where there's, you know, they've already shrunk the playoffs to 16, but they're keeping the same amount of auto bids. And I think last I heard, there's going to be five at-large bids available. There's, yeah. Yeah, so there's already going to be wailing and gnashing of teeth. We're Valley fans are infamous for being mad about having people <laughs> left out of the playoffs, let alone if you have a top 25 team left out of the playoffs or a top 10 team. Um, I couldn't imagine if you took one more of those away with a whack auto bid in the spring, I mean, it's going to be really hard as it is. Yeah. And yeah, so there'll be 11 uh, auto bids this year for the spring, I should say, because the MEAC, the MEAC is getting an auto bid uh, for the spring only because the celebration bowl isn't happening this spring. So yeah, there's only going to be five at large bids to go around. Um, and so that could mean, you, that could mean you could be, you know, Illinois State, who's the fourth team in, in the Valley, and you know maybe ranked number twelve overall. You know they could get left out of the playoffs just because you know there's only room for two teams from the Valley, two teams from the CAA, one team from the Big Sky. So you could have Illinois State sitting at home watching the playoffs as the twelfth best team. You know, meanwhile the, the NEC champ who's ranked number thirty-five, they're playing. Right. Um, and so that it's it's going to make a lot of teams mad, but I get why they did it because if they would have done, all right, we're going to do the spring playoffs. It'll be 16 teams, but we're just going to take the 16 best teams. You know, we're not going to have auto bids. Well, then the pioneer and the Patriot league, the NEC, they might say, well, I mean, we're not going to play them because, you know, there's not much to play for. Um, and then you run into, you know, conferences opting out and the, the number starts getting low. And, you know, I know we don't have to worry about the 50% rule for the spring and we won't come close to hitting that anyways. But, you know, back in the fall when they were figuring all this out, it's like, and they came out with what the spring playoff bracket was going to look like. Like a lot of people were complaining and it's not ideal, but I get why they did it just to try to involve uh, every single conference basically besides the Ivy league and in the SWAC. 
Well, and for the the purists out there that I run into somewhat frequently who say that the playoffs are too big, you're, you're getting your chance now here with the 16-team playoff. You're going to see, and uh, I think a lot of them, if their team gets left home, they're not going to like it too much. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, what do you do? They Like you said, they had to do it. You couldn't be leaving teams out and risking them walking or mm-hmm. walking off on you or anything like that. Um one last thing going into this spring here. Um, you've been keeping track of the total amount of teams, who's dropped out, who hasn't. Um, Indiana State is kind of the famous one for you know Valley fans. Beyond that, do you think – I mean, there can't be many more opt-outs at this point with the how far along we are in this thing with people practicing. Games are starting, I believe, on the 19th for some teams. Um, it's kind of getting past the point of no return, right? Yeah, I would be surprised, honestly. I mean, we might see one or two more. Um, but, I mean, like the NEC and the Patriot League, uh, I know the NEC has come out with their uh, revised uh, conference schedule, and that's a good sign because they had a couple of teams opt-outs. Um, you know, I know the Patriot League should be coming out with their with their uh, conference schedule soon. But, yeah, we have 31 teams that have opted out. 96 are still in. It's really cutting it close because the first game is not this Saturday, but next Saturday, uh, February 13th. And so I guess I'm less worried about teams opting out before the season and more worried about, uh, you know, if you're, you know, take whoever team you're 0-4 and you have five starters get hurt, like what's stopping that team from saying mid-March, you know what? we're opting out now. Like there's our players are getting injured. We're just going to not play anymore this season. Uh, yep. You know, we're going to start looking ahead to the fall and that creates a problem, you know, for the conference scheduling, you know, it takes, you know, take, I'll take NDSU for example, because they, they want to do 50% capacity. Um, we'll see if they actually pull off 50% or not. But I mean, if let's say one team in the Valley is, one in three, they have some injuries. They decide to opt out mid-March, and that was supposed to be a home game for NDSU in in April. Well, NDSU is going to be pissed because they're saying, "Hey, that's oh yeah, that's I'm not good at math. You know, that's hundred thousand dollars in ticket revenue that's gone now." Yep. And so, like, that's that's why I guess I'm not too worried because I think teams will realize this that if they opt out, they're screwing other teams. Like, even if even if Jacksonville State only has ten percent capacity. But all of a sudden, they have a game that gets canceled because that team opted out. Jacksonville State will be pissed because they're trying to get a seed. You know, that's one less win for them. And so I can see some teams opting out midseason, but at the same time, like I think they'll know if they do that, the other top teams in those conferences are, are not going to be happy. And you don't want to create that, that schism in your conference. Right. Yeah. And that, and that's uh, something that people, people hold grudges. People don't forget just ask the Dakota schools. They're still holding grudges from the 1800s with each other. (laughs) (laughs) But How important do you think it'll be for how much more momentum do you think you will get from winning a national championship in the spring to carry over what essentially can be the exact same team since eligibility doesn't count this year into the fall season that quickly? Do you think it'll have uh, more weight to it? or less or is it not or is it going to be the same as always i think there's there's going to be a happy medium um i think the teams that are playing this spring are much better off than like towson and sacramento state that'll go into the the fall of 2021 basically going two years without playing i think the teams that are playing are, are better off for that 
but I do worry about, you know, let's say South Dakota State and NDSU make the semifinals. They do get all, all eight games in uh, for the regular season, or we can just even say seven because you know, there probably will be some cancellations. But, you know, right. that could be 10 games in the spring, South Dakota State, North Dakota State play, and then to have to turn it around and play 11 games and then three, four more in the fall. Um, so I think there is a happy medium of you don't want to play no games, but there is a worry of you don't want to play you know, too many games either. And so I think right. it depends on, on injuries. You know, if, you know, if, if your starting quarterback has a season ending, you know, knee injury, that's technically two seasons ending because he's not going to be able to recover right. from a torn ACL or whatever like that. And the other thing too, is just, even if it's not injuries, even if NDSU and South Dakota state, they don't have any major injuries in the spring, you know, they, they, no, no major injuries. Uh, they recover in the summer. They play in the they play in the fall. Again, no major injuries. But once they get to the quarterfinals and the semifinals, like you can just tell, yeah, this team's beat up. I mean, SDSU's defense just isn't all that fast anymore. They're a step too slow. You can tell they're just wear and tear is getting to them. So it's a combination of you know having major injuries that could take them out of the spring and the fall. But also, even if you do remain healthy. You know, once you get into November and December, you know, maybe some of these teams are, are running on fumes. Is that a concern that's been voiced a lot uh, to you from many coaches or anything like that? I know a lot of people, like, in private conversations that are just friends and family and whatever, have brought up their concern and that being their big issue with the spring schedule. We haven't heard much from coaching staffs or athletic departments besides Indiana State saying that when they canceled – um, is that a major concern that's been voiced to you at all by coaches privately? So I think, I think the concern is more of what I just said right. of, of, uh, of mostly having a major injury that takes the player out of the spring and the fall. I think that's the main concern because, I mean, if you look at it, NDSU could play, um, you know, let's say they play all eight. And then they they win three. I think it would you would have to win three, or you know you would have to win four to win the national championship in the spring, yep. I believe. So that's yep. you know that's twelve. They play another eleven, then another four. So I mean they could be playing, they could be playing twenty five games in you know a year span, and that's obviously too much. But you know that they just might have to suck it up and do it. But I think for right. for the most part of the FCS, you know eighty percent of the FCS doesn't make the playoffs. And so a majority of teams in the FCS are going to play seven games in the, in the spring. We'll just say seven-ish, and then another 11 games in the fall. That's 18 games between March and November, you know, nine months, yeah. 10 months, however long that is. NDSU and James Madison last year played 16 games from September to January, whatever, you know, five months. And so right. the number of games is doable. And I also think coaches aren't, overly concerned because they know they have to be responsible. You can't play all three starting linebackers every single snap in the spring. You're going to have to rotate right. players, play your number twos. Um, this year's a free year of eligibility, so you can play as many true freshmen as you want, and they still would be true freshmen going into the fall, technically. Right. Um, and so I think it is doable. You just have to, you know, rotate players. You know, if you want, you can do a – you can do a snap counts, you know, where a guy isn't playing more than 50 snaps, you know, in a game or 40 snaps in a game. So I think it is doable. I think the total number of games is doable for most teams. 
it's just that main concern, like I said, is, you know, a dude blows his knee out and, well, shit, you're not going to be recovered from this until, you know, February of 2022. So there goes your fall right. season, too. And so that I think that's, that's the main issue. So you're voting against Pierre Strong Jr. getting 45 carries a game this spring, huh? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's, I mean, the South Coast. See, that's the thing, too. Like, from what I get, from what I gather is FCS teams – they're they're all in for the spring. Like they're gonna shoot to win their conference. They're gonna shoot to win the national championship. And so it's not they're not gonna treat it like an exhibition where, you know, they're playing a bunch of true freshmen. They're not playing their starters. They don't care if they win or lose. That's not gonna happen. Teams are all in, but at the same time, you can't go all in, all in. Like you can't you can't ride Pierre. Like if if, right. if, South, if South Coast State wanted to win the national championship this spring, like I would give Pierre Strong the ball as many times as possible. That's probably their their best route of having you know, offensive success, but you, you can't do that because you can't jeopardize the, the fall either. And so, right. um, yeah, you just have to, depth is going to be important, you know, really. Uh, and so it's, you're gonna have to rely on your depth to, to get through the spring and the fall. Right on. Well, I got my hero sports cap on. <laughs> um, I'm disappointed. I didn't get a Sam Herder hates my team t-shirt. Yeah. Um, those are awesome. But since you are obviously Sam Herder, and you went to NDSU, I'm going to give you a chance to defend yourself for hating SDSU. It's all the SDSU <laughs> fans out there who look at that or maybe are new and are jumping on the bandwagon because they're Nebraska fans and are finally coming to their senses this spring. <laughs> and, and explain to them that um, how you do an awesome job and we appreciate what you do. Um, but how did you get into working for Hero Sports really quick? Yeah, and so you know it's 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 interesting because the teams I get the most flack from or the fan bases are probably as far as me being an NDSU grad, it's probably James Madison and UND. Surprisingly well su- surprisingly, like I don't get a ton of flack from South Dakota State. You know, it, if like if I were to rank <laughs> fan bases that like me the most, I would probably put North Dakota State one and then South Dakota State two or three with Montana State up there as well. So I've never really wow. had issues with South Dakota State. But, I mean, what I always tell people is I – I so I went to NDSU. I graduated there from in 2015, but I didn't – I didn't grow up an NDSU fan. I, I grew up right. 45 minutes south of Fargo. If I would have grown up oh. 45 minutes north of Grand Forks, I would have went to UND. And so right. like my, so me going to NDSU had nothing to do with me growing up a Bison fan. And when I was there, like when you're a student, you obviously want to see the team you're covering doing well. But at right. the same time, I worked as a student journalist. And so I covered all the games in the press box, not in the student section. So even when I was at NDSU and I was, you know, hey, it'd be, it'd be great if NDSU won this game. It makes the article better. It'd be great if NDSU went to the national championship because I could go. When you're in right. the press box, you're not cheering for them, right? Right. And yeah. then so – you know, I, after graduating in 2015, I worked in the print industry for a little bit and started writing for uh, hero sports on the side, you know, as basically as a contributor. And then I came on full-time covering the FCS as a full-time gig in, in 2017 or 2018, I believe, I believe it was, it was 2018. Uh, But even in the time between that, when I was watching NDSU, I wasn't really watching them as a fan. It was just, you know, I, okay, I, I have the connection here. I, I'll watch them. But right. now that, you know, I'm full on covering the FCS, like there's no fandom with NDSU. Like I don't own any 
NDSU clothing, you know, I'm not, when I watch them, I'm, I'm, I watch them as a reporter and, you know, I'm not cheering, you know, for them to win or anything yeah. like that. And the, the good thing is when I came on full time with hero sports, like I got a lot of, Oh, he's an NDSU grad. So he, you know, he's, he's going to be a homer. You know, I got a lot of flack then, but the more I've been covering the FCS, the less I hear about that. Because it's I finally think people, starting I, I, to fade. Yeah, because I because I think people realize that okay, like he talks about NDSU, like he covers the FCS, not like he's like rooting for NDSU or anything like that. And the thing is, like I happen to go to an FCS school that's a dynasty right now. Like if I would have right. went to if I would have went to Northern Iowa and I picked Northern Iowa to win the spring national championship, people would be like, eh, that's kind of a homer <laughs> pick. But me right. saying, yeah, NDSU is going to go twelve and one win the national championship. It's like. Well, I mean, Brian is saying that too. He went to University of Florida. Like Craig right. Haley is saying that too. He lives out on the East Coast, so you know, it's just one of those things where I know it comes with the territory. You know, being an NDSU grad, uh, but I, I think for the most part, people have realized that. You know, I just, I call it how I see it, and just because I say something complimentary about NDSU and I say it a lot, it's not because I went to school there. It's because, well, I'm an FCS writer. There's, there's a lot of positive things to be saying about NDSU. Right on. Well, thank you so much for being on with us, Sam. Um, make sure to follow him on Twitter. It's Sam Herder, right? Uh, uh, it's that it simple, is, right? It is at Sam Herder FCS. At Sam Herder FCS. Yeah. Be sure to listen to the BMAC and the Herd podcast. That's found everywhere that this podcast is. So if you listen to us, you should be able to find them. Um, make sure you go to it's not herosports.com anymore. I tend to get all your tweets and follow the links there. Is yeah, it herosports.com to go there? Yeah, it still is heroesports.com where you can find all of our FCS content. Yep. So follow along with that. Uh, keep your head, to, keep your ears open, and Sam will keep you up to date with Brian. Thanks a lot for being on, Sam. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on. <laughs> you bet.